As the old saying goes, there's a fine line between genius and insanity. From Beethoven to Van Gogh to Virginia Woolf, the influence of mental illness on some of history's most famous artists has been well documented, even if little understood. I'm Anne-Marie Fertoli, and this is The Beauty of Madness, The Art of the Mentally Ill. Over the next half hour, we'll meet a community of artists in New York City who are reinventing themselves through their art. New York art therapist Alexandra Serbin works with the mentally ill. She says historically, people with mental illness have always been singled out, but not necessarily with a diagnosis. They were not labeled, but they were seen with bewilderment or with great admiration. With a medical diagnosis, people are very cautious. For example, with the images of Odilon Redon or Alfred Kubin or the dream world of Goya, you would immediately think this is someone whose resources were on a level of enlarged consciousness, but you couldn't put your finger in there. You know, what was it? Was it schizophrenia? Was it schizoaffective disorders? You can't really say. Those are modern terms or modern words. Serbin works at the New York State Psychiatric Institute and at the Living Museum, a facility for the mentally ill in Queens Village, New York. The museum is part of the Creedmoor Psychiatric Center. Here, diagnostic labels are relatively non-existent. The mission of the museum is to get patients to move beyond the label and the stigma of mental illness and to create new identities defined by their lives as artists. In fact, at the Living Museum, that fine line between genius and insanity doesn't just blur, it all but disappears. Terry Mitrin is a regular at the Living Museum. He's a classically trained pianist. He spends most of his time playing music, painting, and writing poetry. Though no one knows what will occur tomorrow, we make the most, be it joy or sorrow. For Terry and most of the other artists at the facility, the Living Museum provides an outlet for expression and the chance to move on to brighter futures. Dr. Janos Martin, the museum's director and co-founder, says he's always been interested in the combination of art and healing. Growing up in Vienna, he was influenced by the work of psychiatrist Leo Navratil and over a dozen mentally ill artists at a hospital in Guging, a small town just outside of Vienna. In the early 80s, Dr. Martin and his friend, Polish artist Bola Kruczynski, proposed a similar art project at Creedmoor. The idea also came from my understanding, connected to Guging, that mental illness and art somehow go together. That there is one very positive thing about mental illness, is this extreme creativity. After securing an abandoned building which had once served as Creedmoor's main kitchen, Dr. Martin says he and Kruczynski worked with patients to clean it up, transforming the 40,000-square-foot space into an art studio and gallery. We named it Living Museum because it is a living organism. It is an open studio, and it is open projects. It's not a museum in the strictest sense of the word. We're also interested in what Andy Warhol was doing with the factory. So there are certain aspects of that here, too. Today, nearly 100 artists, mostly outpatients, come to the museum regularly. Some are inpatients at Creedmoor's main facility. My name is Issa Ibrahim, I'm 41 years old. And I'm a patient here at Creedmoor Psychiatric Center. I come to the Living Museum. It's a program that I come to four days a week, all day. And it's saved my life. It's enriched my life. It's changed my life. It's, it's a fabulous place. Issa is one of the museum's most prolific artists. I vacillate between different styles, really. Whenever I get bored of one, I can very easily move into another, which is good. I really enjoy that. And then when I'm bored of painting altogether, I, I write songs and play music, or 
I'll even like write short stories or keep my journal, which is turning into a memoir. I'm fortunate, really, to be able to work in different media. This is one of Issa's songs. He calls it Funky Junkie. I'm a funky junkie, live life on the skids. A two-bit kid, ridden out of town on a rail. Born to fail, but look at me now. Issa's workspace is filled with art from oil paintings to large-scale illustrations. Much of his work includes pop culture references. One painting features the heads of the Beatles transposed onto Mount Rushmore. Another, The Last Supper, with former President Nixon, Van Gogh, and Mickey Mouse. I've taken a lot of popular culture, and I kind of put a little spin on it whenever I work in that area, turning a light on it and maybe exposing the frivolous and ridiculousness of it all. It's even reached a fever pitch now with uh, American Idol and Britney Spears. It's just like out of control, really. Superman with a beer can languishing on his couch and whatever. That was like maybe 10, 12 years ago. And things were kind of outrageous then, but now it's even worse. So I feel like there's nothing I can really do to comment on it because it's already there. But I do like to comment on history, popular culture. I do a lot of black history. Issa says artistic talent is in his genes. Both of his parents were artists, and he dedicates all of his work to them. But he says he takes his influences from everywhere. Pop art of the 60s, Lichtenstein and Warhol. Not so much Warhol, his idea more so than his actual work. But definitely Lichtenstein with the cartoon, a comic book type thing, which I kind of work on. The Fluxus people from the early 60s. As well as the old masters. I mean, you can't take anything away from them. Issa says he's also inspired by the other artists at the Living Museum, including John Tersey. I started coming here like the end of 92, and I've been coming basically ever since. It's my sanctuary. I get a lot of peace here. I really enjoy the museum. I look forward to come here all the time. I'm going to clean my brush right now. Yeah, put some nice paint on it, put some red. I need to use some red paint. I do sexual landscapes. I fill the body parts up with bright colors and different shapes and flowers and writing and everything like that, and it's going to be a big mural. John also works with mixed media. I make sculptures with coat hangers. I made a bird. I made figures and everything. Lately, I've been doing collages with magazines, and I'm always trying to push it to the next level. Think more original, original, original. John says he draws some of his inspiration from another well-known artist with mental illness. Van Gogh. Vincent Van Gogh inspires me because... I like went through the same process that he went through. The hospitals back then and the medication is so much different now. You know, the calm is nerves, he used to give him a hot bath, you know. Now they got just a pill for that. But he expised me with his work and his color. Like his paintings, that made him stand out, you know. It's like heavy coatings of paint, like braille on his work. But he didn't sell nothing until he passed away. Because he didn't have this place, you know. We got the museum here. For John, creating art at the Living Museum is the realization of a lifelong dream. I always loved art. Around 19, that's when my life started getting crazy and I was hospitalized. I would make a painting, like, maybe of anything. Maybe once a month, once every three months. I just, like, put my art stuff on the side and then really get into it because I was so busy. My life was so crazy. And when I found this place, you know, I just started getting back into it again. Everybody here, we do art. We do real art. We don't do like, you know, let's do crafts and make beads. You know, we do real art. And some of these people I know for years, and they're like family to me. And the way Dr. Martin runs it, it's like a big family. 
We all look out for each other. I mean, in this place, you feel like you're in some loft in Manhattan. You don't realize you're a creep more until you look out the window or go out the door. Many of the artists here have at some point lived in the locked wards of Creedmoor. But Living Museum director Dr. Janos Martin says he doesn't really pay attention to those charts. I am not really into diagnosing people. In fact, after a quarter century in the mental health system, I gave up altogether thinking about diagnosis too much. Mostly because everybody's history is very similar. They are all very traumatic histories. You can almost say that everybody suffers of post-traumatic stress disorder just to the very fact that they have mental illness. Having said that, everybody here has a severe chronic mental illness. That's what brings you to a hospital like Creedmoor. So at one point, everybody had a psychotic breakdown. By psychosis, I mean that at one point you are deemed dangerous to yourself or to others. But with the advent of psychotropic drugs and even more recent medical developments, Dr. Martin says many of the artists at the Living Museum are stabilized and are able to live their lives relatively free of the worst symptoms. You find less and less people with florid psychotic behavior. Most people who come here are doing very well, and many of them are completely free of symptoms. That is a very important thing to understand, that with people being able to function very well and we are stabilized, now the next stage has to happen, which is you have to regain your identity. And this is the goal that we have here at the museum. Artist Issa Ibrahim says working at the Living Museum has helped him through the tougher times. 17 years ago I suffered a psychotic breakdown. I was smoking pot and it kicked down a wall in my brain that's yet to be repaired. It's repaired through medication, but not really repaired. It's just kind of like papered over a little. The insanity is still there, but it's just I'm medicated well. Years ago, I would work out a lot of my issues, the substance abuse issues. Uh, I'm clean now for 15 years. I feel good about that. But just working out the cravings that used to come up, the euphoria that you missed, the self-loathing of being an addict, and then also the stigma of being mentally ill and being an outsider. I've worked a lot of those issues out in my work. Now, Issa says he can see that work in a different light. There was a period that was very obvious in my work, and I would think, okay, mental illness now, or drugs, yes, yes. But now it's much more subtle. It, it creeps up on me without my even knowing, but it's not as obvious, I don't think. But some of those works, some of those early works were good. Not all of them, but some of them really are strong because they really hit me where it hurts because it's my issues. Issa is currently illustrating a novella he calls The Cosmic Knockout, a story he came up with while he was coming off medication following a mental breakdown eight years ago. He talks about his novella during a typical day at the Living Museum, as other artists practice their music nearby. They're pretty wild illustrations, but it's a pretty wild story. It's kind of like love behind the walls of a mental hospital, and how the protagonists, the main people in the story, are sick, and so they think they're superheroes, but then something transpires within the story which allows them to become superheroes, but you're not sure until the very end whether they are or they aren't. So it plays with perception and reality a little bit. Art therapist Alexandra Serbin says after years of working in the field, she's convinced the mentally ill are asking the essential questions, more so, she says, than, quote, normal people. They are wrestling, in a way, with God, with existence, with our destiny, with life and death. Serbin says her work with the physically handicapped has given her a new perspective on the plight of the mentally ill. It's like a blind man who has senses that are reaching far beyond the normal. They value life in a totally different way. And from that different valuation of life, they come to different questions about life. And somehow they don't ask, you know, how can you make another 
loaf of bread, but they ask, why are we so violent and why can we not love? All these questions that are the only questions we should all ask. One of the Living Museum's founding mottos expressed by artist Bola Kurczynski is use your vulnerabilities as a weapon. Director Dr. Martin says it's still a guiding motto. I view the phenomena that are connected to what people call mental illness as an advantage when it comes to art. If you hear voices, if you have a religious encounter with God, if you have visions, hallucinations, these are all symptoms that make you a handicapped person if you live in the outside world. Here, it is a great source of art. Great art is not the decorative, it's not the political, it's sort of art that touches the existential moment in your life. And mental illness is also always existential. Today I raise my pen in defiance of our times. With thoughts and metaphors, I wage war with these rhymes. Michael Cerna has been coming to the Living Museum for about five years. He's a writer, artist, and political activist. In Africa, my sisters and brothers die from starvation, genocide, and AIDS. I dreamt of a world without a god to kill for or to In the foreword to Michael's book of poetry published by the Living Museum, Dr. Martin writes, quote, on the verge of a manic episode, Mike managed to be most lucid while writing this compilation. At such times, he notes that his mastery of the language is at its height, and poetic devices are easily accessible. Michael says he pulls his inspiration from a number of sources. Politics is one, nature, women that I, I interact with, friends that I interact with, different experiences of living in the moment and trying to seize moments of the infinite from the tide of time. For museum director Dr. Janos Martin, the existence of the museum in its current form is a miracle of sorts. We have quite an ideal situation going. We are incredibly blessed with creativity here and then a huge output of fantastic art. And I think that most people are very happy here, including myself. For many of the artists working here, including Issa Ibrahim, the Living Museum provides a refuge. It's bittersweet, the situation I'm in. I'm hospitalized, and yet I go to this oasis. I come up from a dungeon and go out to a beach, in a way, every day. So to come here every day and paint and sing songs with friends who like to sing with you and write songs with people and be able to write ideas that you're not afraid to say. But wherever I end up, I'll always be coming here, for as long as it's here. I hope it'll be here forever, or for as long as I'm alive. As an artist who spends most of his free time at the Living Museum, John Tercy is also appreciative of what it's given him. My parents are so proud of me, and me and my father, we're getting so much closer, and we're very close now. And my sister, everybody's very proud of me. I'm proud of myself. I really am proud of myself. I'm very happy. It's something I never get tired of. Okay, maybe one day I'm doing art. Ah, I put six hours in right now. I'm taking a break. I had enough for the day. But I wake up the next day looking for more. I've been at the hospital since 95, and I'm not going back anymore. I'm more impatient. And I know, I know the reason I'm doing so great and everything is the museum and my art and Dr. Martin. After over 20 years of running the place, Dr. Martin says he's convinced the Living Museum is an experimental model proven effective. His hope is for other facilities around the world to adopt similar models. There's a historical moment right now because the fact that medication is so much 
better now. You can have the hospitals shrinking down to a smaller size, but the epidemiologically, the number of people who have mental illness remains the same, and they are going to be discharged into outpatient facilities, into adult homes, and sort of 24-7 facilities, and they should be adopting these open studio projects. I think that is a solution. You know, art is the solution. Mary Beth Pepe works as a music therapist at Creedmoor Psychiatric Center and comes to the Living Museum twice a week. She helps artists compose and arrange their music and poetry, as well as put on concerts. One of the things that art and music and poetry does, or any art medium, it helps to focus you. The deep feelings of suffering are somehow brought to a better place artistically through creativity. It also is a way of controlling symptoms. If you're suffering from depression, anxiety, it takes you someplace else, art and music. And for many people, it structures them and their thoughts and helps you cope with the symptoms of mental illness. This environment really exists in your heart. You can make this environment anywhere. For most of the artists at the Living Museum, their work is a path to new identities and ultimately, as their catalog of artwork is aptly titled, A Journey of Hope. Inspired by the church music of her youth, singer Betty Anderson is now recording her own music at the Living Museum. Walk on, walk on, with hope, hope in your heart. You're listening to walk The Beauty of Madness, The Art of the Mentally Ill on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. Hope in your heart. Keep on walking on, walk on, oh, Lord, you gotta walk on. For three years, clinical psychologist Marika Zoll followed nine artists working a minimum of five days a week at the Living Museum. She says the benefits of the facility were immediately evident. In many cases, people end up in the hospital every three and four months, or something goes wrong every three or four months, and it was pretty startling to realize that across the board, all nine people with varying diagnoses and just different people were all doing really well for three years in a row, not going back into the hospital. Dr. Zoll interned at the Living Museum and also wrote her Ph.D. dissertation on those nine artists. Seven years ago, she was invited to found her own Living Museum at the Harborview House, a mental health facility in San Pedro, California. In about four months, she helped transform two former YMCA squash ball courts, about to be condemned, into an art studio and gallery. As an artist herself, Dr. Zoll says most people are more creative than they think. Now take a population of people that have had so much taken away from them, so much misfortune due to their illness, so much discomfort, loss of jobs, unable to work, many of them become homeless, and end up just destitute emotionally and physically, and now give them an opportunity to do something positive, something creative, something that's just not connected with any of that negative stuff. And I think that you're setting the stage for an other part of the mind to start opening up. Dr. Zoll says art gives people the opportunity to express themselves in ways they may not be able to otherwise. It goes to the heart, the emotions, communication with oneself. It's a way of communicating. And, you know, 
It's real easy to say you're supposed to communicate. What about somebody who can't communicate normally, like autistic children, for example, who very often don't have the ability to speak normally? There are certain ways that you can express yourself through art that you could never put into words. Unlike the Living Museum in Queens, the facility at San Pedro is not state-funded and has fewer resources to support its community of artists. Dr. Zoll no longer works there, but she is currently trying to develop similar projects elsewhere. She says the model is adaptable to a variety of populations beyond the mentally ill, from at-risk youth to geriatrics to just about anyone. Because we've seen this tremendous change happen in lives of people with illness, you can't help but say, "Wow, if it can help them, couldn't it help other people too, even in a small way?" And then I became aware of all the normal folk that are buying all the self-help books and all the talk of going to therapy and the self-help therapy books. It might sometimes be that the answer is not in talk therapy. Sometimes. It's in the doing or the art making. In this case, those processes can be just as, or sometimes more effective. You might say with this population, even more effective. Artist Michael Cerna says working at the Living Museum has enhanced his creativity. I don't think that it should be limited to the narrow scope of people with mental illness. I think it should be something that is incorporated into the daily lives of everybody in the general society. Because it would help society grow infinitely through the means of self-expression and the contemplation of greater things in life. For clinical psychologist Marika Zoll, expanding the Living Museum's open studio model is a life goal. Like there's a McDonald's in every town, there should be an art space in every town. That hasn't happened yet, but that doesn't mean it can't still happen. On the grounds of the Creedmoor Psychiatric Center in Queens Village, New York. Artists from the Living Museum and other on-campus facilities are showcasing their work. The show takes place at the Milestone Residence, a residential facility for adults with mental illness. Guests, including Creedmoor staff and some press, are enjoying a light lunch as they view artwork around the room. Hanging from a ceiling pipe in the corner, a figure made entirely out of wire hangers surveys the scene. The artist is the Living Museum's John Tersey. Lately, the shows are really coming up, and the shows are great because. All that publicity we're getting, you know, people starting to notice us. You know, like you're right here. This is all real. It's not a fantasy or it's not an illusion. You know, my dreams are coming true. I always want to be a famous artist, and I'm really doing it. And I love what I'm doing. Larissa Glastrom, Rehabilitative Arts and Activities Center supervisor, organized the event. She says so far it's going as planned. In this show, I wanted to invite all the artists so they can just be in that environment where normal artists would be. So, sort of giving them an opportunity to exhibit the artwork, to talk to the viewers, talk to their peers. There's also live music provided by the Milestone Residence's house band, the Mixed Nuts. The Mixed Nuts is made up of Tim Macadamia Quinton, Tim Cashewnoe, and Rod Amond Manigault. The Tims met at the Living Museum. Tim Quinton and Rod are residents at Milestone, and Tim Noe is a rehabilitation assistant. Tim Quinton came up with the band's name. I just thought it would be cool to call it Mixed Nuts because we're mentally ill and you know we're mixed. Tim Noe plays tenor sax, guitar, and keyboards. We just finished recording our first CD, and I would like to write and record more. That's my main interest. And plus, just playing in public as much as we can. My focus with the band is to play as a good band of musicians, and not 
be perceived as, you know, well, they're pretty good for mentally ill people. We want to be a good band, period. That's what it's about for me. Tim says although it's a continuing process, each performance helps to diffuse the stigma of being mentally ill. Andrea Romano is also working to diffuse that stigma. She's the senior vice president at the Institute for Community Living, an organization that works to provide housing, like the Milestone Residence, for those living with mental and developmental disabilities. She says shows like the one at Milestone celebrate the progress and success of the artists. For some of them, this is a new experience. Some of them have been painting and drawing for a long time. And our band, Mixed Nuts, We're proudly the only program that Institute for Community Living has that has a house band. And it's really been an opportunity for them to showcase their talents and for them to be able to show talents that take away the disability. We've really emphasized the individual first and not the disability. From New York to Chicago, artists at the Living Museum are continually showcasing their work outside of their artistic base. Today, some of the artwork is up for sale at the Long Island Society for Ethical Culture. And while many of the artists may not have commercial concerns, their work is commanding competitive prices. Here, prices range from 50 to several thousand dollars. With collections celebrating the art of the mentally ill, like the Prinzhorn in Germany and exhibitions of Martin Ramirez and Henry Darger here in New York, the popularity of so-called outsider art has raised some questions among art critics. Art therapist Alexandra Serbin says the label doesn't make any sense to her. If you call somebody an outsider, then you call somebody an outsider of regular culture. And that is something that I can't agree with at all because all the patients I've worked with have intensely been part of the culture. They have ethnic affiliations, they have parents, they have personal affiliations, they have affiliations with their neighborhoods, with their city, whether you're from the city or the country, they have affiliations with their nation, and they have been deeply influenced by all these things. And all this is melting into who they are and what they express in what style. Serbin calls the art of the mentally ill authentic. It touches something primordial, something that is more important than most art that we see, which seems to be sometimes very self-indulgent or having like messages, but not this kind of touching the essence. Whatever labels the art of the mentally ill may fall under, there's no doubt it's influenced many. Serbin says throughout history, famous artists have acknowledged the influence of the art of the mentally ill. Kandinsky, Paul Klee, Kubin, they have always admitted, you know, Dubuffet, the whole surrealist movement, they have all fed on art of the mentally ill, and they have expressed that and said that numerous times. At an art show at the Long Island Society for Ethical Culture, observers express deep connections to the artwork on display from the Living Museum. Dee Jacobs is from Garden City. I've had mental problems myself, and to see how talented and uninhibited these artists are was an inspiration to me as an artist. They're like stories, telling a little bit about the patient themselves through their artwork. I could see that they go through a lot of suffering and trauma, and I just feel it, it's expressed in their drawings and their paintings, which I found to be remarkable. I feel a little more comfortable about exhibiting my work now. Gail Gerson volunteers with the National Alliance on Mental Illness. She's also a sufferer. I was very impressed to see this show. It was very moving. It shows that you're not alone, that there are many, many people with mental illness. And because you have a mental illness, it's not a character flaw. 
It's not a reflection on your intelligence. Mental illness affects people from all walks of life. It doesn't matter what your creed, race, or religion is. LaRue Shaw, a self-described sometime artist from Hicksville, New York, says while she may not be able to afford the art on display here, she still loves it. I was just enthralled by the straitjacket and with all the dreams and something embroidered upon this. It's such a hopeful, it's a scary piece and yet it's so hopeful in the uh, knitted work applique on it as if like that's not the end. It's only a beginning and the person is going forward in the way they're thinking about their lives. On sunny days at the Living Museum, many of the regular artists sit outside enjoying the weather. On a recent sunny afternoon, artist John Tersey talks about the beautiful weather and how it's conducive to garage sale season, the perfect time for scoping out new art material. He also talks about a new style of art he's developing, oil painting manipulated by bold strokes made with a fork. He's already done pictures of museum director Dr. Janos Martin, some of his other friends at the museum, and a self-portrait. In all of the paintings, zigzagging fork strokes swirl out from friendly faces in bright halos of color. As John greets his friends and fellow artists walking by, he says without the museum, he'd probably still be in the locked wards of Creedmoor's main building, just visible from where he now sits. Today, he's off to his apartment to create some art, but tomorrow, he says, he'll be back again to work at the Living Museum. The Beauty of Madness, the Art of the Mentally Ill is a production of WFUV News at Fordham University in New York. It was written and produced by me, Anne-Marie Fertoli, and edited by George Bodarki. My thanks to everyone at the Living Museum. We now leave you with a song by artist Issa Ibrahim. It's called We're All Crazy. Thanks for listening. Schizophrenic Borderline So pedantic Fill the wine.